You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode of Locked On Phoenix Suns is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. At only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned later on in the show for the Ultra Player of the Week. It's Mailbag Day here on today's episode of Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean. I cover the Suns and the NBA at SB Nation and Dime Magazine, and you can follow me on Twitter at BrendanClean14. You can also follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnPHXSuns. And that's right, it is Mailbag Day. Questions from Twitter, again, at LockedOnPHXSuns, if you ever want to send one over or just see it when I call for them. That's exactly what happened today. We got four or five questions on Twitter and several more on Reddit over at Suns. So we will be getting to as many of those as possible, looking at Chris Paul, his contract, his status this summer in free agency, what might happen there. I get a lot of questions about that, so I wanted to dig in. We also will talk about playoff matchups because I've seen a lot of questions there. Dallas lurking in that seven seed. Who's freaking out? Who's not? Uh, I'll tell you what I'm thinking. And uh, a little more on this week's games in terms of that with the Clippers and the Jazz coming up. And then also this, <laughs> this NBA 25 under 25 prospect list courtesy of our friends at ESPN. Uh, some very peculiar selections on the ballots from uh, Bobby Marks, Mike Schmitz, and Kevin Pelton. I have to admit uh, there were some there were some decisions made on this list that I don't know if I can get behind. So we will dive into that probably to close the show. So stay tuned if you'd like to laugh at that list with me. But first, a quick thank you to you guys, actually. I appreciate each and every one of you who's listened to this show. Um, I am not going anywhere, but I did just want to say thanks because it has been a period of pretty substantial change for me. Uh, I got married a couple weeks ago on March 26th. It was a it's not impromptu ceremony, but it was definitely a plan B after a wedding we had planned and decided to move back to the fall with hopefully then people being able to gather safely and um, get everybody from out of town here in the proper manner and not worry about the the risks there. So we put that together out at Las Dutchman at the Superstition Mountains for those of you who have been there. It's a beautiful area. It turned out really, really nice, but I did miss some time that week and recorded some early episodes and all the rest. I'm sure you were hearing that and wondering, and that is the answer. Um, And then the next week was my honeymoon. So it did not make it any easier on that. I hope that you enjoyed the conversations that I had there with Jackson Frank and Dwayne Rankin filling you in on Suns basketball at that time. And then uh, this week I started a new job. So I actually have a full-time gig now. Again, not going anywhere. I'm going to stay with the podcast, but I am working over at the Global Sport Institute at Arizona State University. So I'm doing big picture sports content, podcasts, video, written stuff, kind of just the idea of making sports fans smarter all around the world. Um, We do big picture, global, kind of, huge sports stories. Think about zooming out as much as you can and 
exploring different parts of sports. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, by all means, go ahead and give us a follow on social media. Check out the website. It's called Global Sport Matters. And obviously, if you follow me, I will be posting all of that as well. So that's what I've been up to. Nothing's changing with the show. We'll still have Brandon here for Zona Mondays. We'll still be right here for you every single game day after the buzzer, Monday through Friday. And that should be it. You shouldn't notice any changes. We should be getting back to a normal routine here on the show. But again, thank you, thank you, thank you for uh, staying patient there. And of course, just building up the show, building up this audience listening to me talk about the Suns every day for three plus years now. Um, because obviously it's not an exaggeration to say that you guys listening and this audience being built up and me getting to do this show is part of what landed me the full-time gig, right? So thank you for that. And uh, let's dive right into it. Let's talk Suns here. Now that that is out of the way, I just wanted everybody to be up to date on me and what's up with all of the pre-recorded episodes and shoddy audio. So again, thank you. And let's dive in. So again, like I said, we wanted, you guys have wanted me to talk about this Chris Paul situation for quite a while. So this question was courtesy of Rodrigo Caetano on Twitter at Caetano underscore Rodrigo. Rodrigo, I'm only going to get to one of your questions because you did have several. I'll hopefully pocket those and bring them out for the next mailbag, but got to get everybody their fair share of the show. But this one was my favorite one from you, and I will start with this. So the idea being here, obviously, Chris Paul has this player option, right, that he could exercise if he so chose this summer, which would make him a free agent. And there would be a few options available at that point, right? So the Suns could re-sign him. I think that would obviously be many of our expectation and, and hope is that they would with a longer-term guarantee, right? So yes, his fairly exorbitant 2021-22 salary is uh, nothing to sneeze at. However, it's the last year of his deal. So maybe that $44.2 million he's owed that season, he opts out of that if he can get a contract for two or three seasons that is obviously more than $44.2 million, right? So you're sacrificing that amount of money, but you're guaranteeing more money and it is going to then be spread out over more time, which can be important as well. So that's sort of the thinking. And, I, and I've heard some national pundits in the NBA space start to wonder about what Chris Paul might do. And I know Suns fans are thinking about it as well, because I think some folks would obviously hope then that he would, uh, give the Suns some cap space and obviously kind of answer the point guard question down the road. So it would help in both capacities. And I think that's why it's worth exploring. So thank you for that question, Rodrigo. So I'll kind of do pros and cons on this as I see it. Basically, when you're looking at Chris Paul, the pros I kind of laid out there, right? So pro number one, you get Chris Paul who is having another all-star, borderline all-NBA, people talk about him as MVP sometimes, caliber of season, special season, seriously not seeming to lose any ground. He has stayed healthy. Everything you could have hoped for from Chris Paul. So getting that right for more seasons, even if he is getting older and you maybe have to um, continue to monitor his minutes and his burden is good, right? Having Chris Paul on your team as the Suns have explored this season has been really good. Um, so that's obviously a positive. You 
avoid having to answer the future point guard question in the short term, right? So um, you don't have to worry about immediately drafting somebody. You don't have to worry about trying to trade for that player. It's just something you can put off a little bit longer. Now, I think they should try to answer that question, especially this year while they still have their draft pick and everything else, but it's not as urgent if you know Chris Paul is on your team for at least one more season. Okay, so cons... Obviously, you're increasing your risk, right? Chris Paul having an incredible season. Everything's going great. But at the same time, you don't want to necessarily push that too far, right? So like even think think about LeBron James, right? So quietly, the past two of the past three seasons, LeBron James has missed substantial time with injury. He had won his first year in Los Angeles. Now, Some of that was because they weren't winning. There wasn't as much pressure for him to come back, but he did miss quite a bit of time. And this year, now with this high ankle sprain, he's due to miss at least a month. So Chris Paul, you know, who knows when that time is going to come. He doesn't have as much wear on his body as LeBron James due to those long, long playoff runs and finals runs and championship runs. But Chris Paul's old, right? He's he's for for an athlete, for an NBA player, he is getting to the point where that starts to be a question. So you have him on your team longer. You're increasing the chances that while he's highly paid member of the Phoenix Suns is when that injury might happen or when he starts to uh, not be as productive of a player. So the longer you go on with him on your team, the more risk that you inherit. That's really the only con that I can see because obviously getting him at a cheaper price, getting him um, on your team, keeping him, making you know a commitment to him, Obviously, that would feel like a weight off of a lot of the players and and management's shoulders that they would feel good that they had him for longer. All that stuff is really good. What is not a pro or a con, but needs to be factored in here that I don't see a lot of fans thinking about is that Chris Paul is not in really any situation here. Would you imagine Chris Paul giving up enough money that the Suns would get cap space at all in 2020? One. Okay. So again, he was, he's due to be at about $44 million for next season. So what could happen there is he would decline that option. He would go onto the books as a cap hold, which is only about $1 million less. So just him sitting there unsigned, but having declined the option gives you nothing. Now, of course, making him your first new signing in this summer, because obviously the order the, or, the order of operations is always so important with free agency, right? You have you have to not go over the cap until a certain point, so you can use this exception, and you need to do the trade before you can do the signing because you don't have the cap space yet. All that stuff we know, right? So what would happen is that Chris Paul, if you decided to sign him first, he'd go onto the books on that new salary. So that's obviously the ideal situation here. Now, what you see there is let's imagine I'm I'm thinking about the Kyle Lowry salary, right? So he was at about three years, 90 million. I would think Paul would try to get more than that. He certainly has had a better career. He's better right now, etc. But that could be where Chris Paul might try to be. So let's just say in the ballpark, 25% of the cap would put him at 28.1 million next year. I think that's on the low end, but just imagining that's probably the lowest I could see him accepting on a two-year contract, giving him about 58 million 58 and a half million over those two years. If he does that, he's on the books for 28.1 in uh, next season. That cuts $16 million off of the Suns' bill next season. All that does 
is cut their cap space to having negative 8 million. Still far from having any cap space to think of. They don't have any real players expiring. If you wave Nader, Payne, Kaminsky, Craig, Galloway, and more, you get to a point where you have a couple of million dollars of cap space and hardly any players on your roster. So yeah, you could dump Javon Carter into space. You could start to do some of those types of things, but you're gutting your roster for very minimal cap space. So what Chris Paul opting out would not do is give the Suns any more money to spend. And they're not close enough to the luxury tax that that's a concern either. So basically they're going from not having cap space to not having cap space. That's not part of the equation. It's all about locking Chris Paul up long-term, rewarding him for his great season, and getting that commitment at the point guard spot that you can trust. That's where I see things. I would put it at about 50-50 because I do think that Chris Paul could look to do that. And of course, you go to the next season, it does start to give the Suns some flexibility. So that's when you might start to see it as the 22-23 offseason. But that's so far down the line that a lot of things can change. You're talking about extensions for Bridges and Aiton. Things are just going to look a lot different. So that's where we see that's where I see it right now. I put it at about 50-50. I could definitely see it happening. I feel a lot more confident that it's an option for Paul than I did at the beginning of the year. I thought there was no chance. It made no sense. There's not going to be cap space, et cetera. But with him playing so well, I do think that that's the type of thing we see happen. Drew Holiday just got one. I talked about the Kyle Lowry. It is the kind of thing that we do see. And Paul is certainly a candidate and has earned it. And so we'll see what happens. I think it'll be one of the first things to happen in free agency. We'll hear about it very quickly. That's obviously very far into the future, but that's where I see things playing out. Let's get into what's going to happen between now and then, though. Let's talk about the playoffs. We'll do that after a quick break. This week's Ultra Player of the Week, I have to go back to my tried and true. It is Mikhail Bridges. It's only worth it if you enjoy it, remember, guys, and Mikhail Bridges embodies that. Never a moment on a basketball court goes by when Mikhail Bridges is not having the thrill of his life. At least that's what his play would lead you to believe. This guy just plays hard, plays smart, and loves to compete, and he's been waiting for this moment. I've been saying that recently on the show. Mikhail Bridges has been waiting for the Suns to be a winning team, and his particular brand of role player excellence is at its absolute best when the team plays this way. Enjoyment isn't the end game, it's the whole game. And Mikhail Bridges is the perfect encapsulation of that. Mikhail Bridges knows that to to win, to to do it every night, to do it at a high level, you have to love it. You have to play with joy because joy creates success. So remember that as you sip on that wonderful 2.6 carb, 95 calorie Michelob Ultra, and think about it when you watch Mikhail Bridges. There's really not much else to it but that love of the game, that competitive spirit. And again, remember to wonder, are you happy because you win or do you win because you're happy? This player of the week has been brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Back here answering your questions on the Mailbag Show. Remember also to check out Locked On Today, our latest show on the Locked On Network at the national level. Peter Bukowski gets you ready every single morning in 20 minutes or less with the latest sports stories of the day. What happened last night? What happened the day before? What is going to happen? All of it in 20 minutes or less wherever you listen to podcasts on Locked On Today. Okay, so I got a lot of questions here from you guys about playoff matchups. And so I wanted to dig into some of that. So I had at uh, Prime Yems 
Yemi Ajibola on Twitter asked, who is the more dangerous second round matchup for the Suns, the Clippers or the Nuggets? I'll answer that one really quickly, Yemi. And I think, um, I think it's the Clippers. I mean, obviously I think the Clippers are thought of to be a more fearsome team. I think the Clippers and Nuggets, I, I sort of evaluate them pretty similarly right now because of just the uncertainty with the Clippers. We don't know how the Rondo acquisition will help them. We don't know where their health level will be with two superstar players who tend to have health and injury issues every season. Uh, and we don't know what their their kind of culture, their chemistry will be like after the implosion last year, giving up their 3-1 to one lead. So the Clippers, to me, uh, have those those questions despite having the obvious talent advantage. And then the, the Nuggets, I mean, I just, I, I'm not, you will not find me wanting to play Nikola Jokic in the playoffs by any means, but I do feel like the Suns have historically matched up pretty well against Denver. Yes, Jamal Murray tends to go absolutely bonkers when he comes to Phoenix, but, you know, Aiton and Jokic are actually like kind of bring the best out of one another and, and Aiton has done a decent job. He tends to foul Jokic a lot, which is the one issue, but overall, I don't know how it would change with Aaron Gordon, but I think the Suns match up pretty well against Denver. So when you look at it both ways, there's some ups and downs on both sides. I feel like Denver and the Clippers are about the same in terms of their overall odds to win the championship, but the Clippers are just a worse matchup for the Suns. So I would be trying to avoid them. I would be hoping that somehow the standings fall where the Suns can play the Jazz in the second round, although it's looking less and less like that's going to happen. And it looks like the Suns are really going to have to battle to get through the West. So I would be trying to avoid the Clippers. I would be hoping for maybe a battered Lakers team, a Nuggets squad, or some sort of upset that you can maybe face a a lesser-seeded team come the second round. But that leads us to this other question. Um, which is from H76 on Suns Reddit. He asked, what do you think about a potential playoff matchup against Dallas? And this one's been turning a lot of heads, I think, on Suns Twitter too and, and among Suns fans. And rightly so. I mean, I, and not just among Suns fans. I feel like a lot of Western Conference fan bases are starting to realize that their favorite team could be rewarded for an excellent season with a treat that is playing Luka Doncic and the Mavs in the first round, which would be very, very unfortunate for whatever team that is. And of course, as I'm sure you all know, the Suns are currently the team scheduled to do that with a 2-7 matchup in place that would pit Dallas against Phoenix, not only bringing back a lot of memories of that ugly, um, one-sided really rivalry in the mid-2000s, but also um, I guess not, not, not quite one side. I don't know if that's fair. There were very epic battles, and both teams won some series, right? So okay, well, let's get that out of the way. But obviously, um, not only that, but also the the 2018 draft that cannot let us go, uh, both in the debate and depending on which side of the aisle you fell on there, whether you were happy or not happy with the Suns' pick. It, that's just something that I guess. We never can live down in the Valley and we'll have to continue talking about it forever. And that playoff series would only serve to reignite that discussion. So um, a lot going into that matchup, right? And I think it would be fun from that perspective, just a lot of stories, a lot of memories, a lot of things to think about. But from a basketball standpoint, I actually not, I would not be worried about it 
do the Suns have a a 100% answer for the Mavericks offense when it's at its best? No, but this is a, a Dallas offense that was historically great. It was the best offense in the NBA last season. They lost a little bit of shooting this year, but they're getting back on track and nobody's going to stop them. No one is going to quiet them down, right? But we saw them give the Clippers six games in the first round last season with Luka being uh, completely the type of, of heroic late game saver you would expect based on how good he has been in the NBA so far. And so that's not a team anyone wants to face, but I do feel like the Suns have had success against Dallas basically since that 2018 draft happened. Um, DeAndre Ayton, they don't have bigs that really worry you if you're DeAndre Ayton, right? They have Chris Porzingis, who has a ways to go in terms of creating his own offense in a way that is consistent and go to in a playoff series and he also has a game that's easier for DeAndre Ayton to handle there's not a lot of there's more post offense lately this this season for Porzingis but still not too much he's not going to overpower you he's not really a you know drive through you type of player like Jokic could be or Embiid is it's just an easier matchup for Ayton and then the other thing is Mikhail Bridges just has had Luka's number I mean there's no other way around that they Luka has never really gotten the best of bridges. We saw it in the bubble. We saw it right before the break last season. We saw it at the beginning of the year this year. And again, in the game that Devin Booker hit the buzzer beater on at the end of January when he came back from his injury. So, so many moments of the Suns outclassing Dallas. And a lot of it comes down to bridges, um, stopping Luka, Aiton, doing his thing against their thinner front line. And then the, the Mavericks don't have anybody to defend Devin Booker. They just do not. So, it's not something I would worry about. I could actually see it ending in five games or something. I would pick the Suns pretty confidently. Now, Dallas is gaining momentum. They're going to keep getting better, I would think. They just added Melly and, and Redick from New Orleans. So, you know, there's something to be said for that and, and seeing how it how it looks at the end of the season. But right now, I would not be threatened by Dallas if I was the Suns. One more question about the playoff matchups here from a bus full of nuns. Uh, on on Suns Reddit. I love that name. What is more important in tomorrow's game against Utah? That will be on Wednesday, of course. So today, for those of you listening, playoff seating, he asks, or continuing to build confidence against elite teams. Now, Chris Paul said post-game after the Houston game on Monday that these games are no, no different. And with all due respect to Chris Paul, like the guy knows more about the NBA calendar than I will ever know. Um, I don't, I don't believe it. I don't buy it. Maybe to him, maybe it's true that at age 35, Chris Paul is no longer worried about that, but, uh, I don't buy that he's not worried or that the, the team is not thinking about it. Um, that it doesn't hold more import to the team and that they don't just maybe mentally circle it on the calendar. I know that that happens. And, Maybe it doesn't happen for Chris Paul at this point, but when you think about uh, Devin Booker and, and sizing himself up as he goes through his first winning season in the NBA, or you know DeAndre Ayton against Rudy Gobert, or just you know the mentality of the the locker room, I'm sure there will be more energy before that game in the locker room than there has been for any other game. I just, I just, how could it not, right? So, I think it's that confidence more so than the seating because truly, I don't really. 
The way that the standings are breaking down right now, I guess to me with the Clippers and the Nuggets and the Lakers all looming behind the Suns in the standings, but being more scary to me than Utah, I don't know if this the number one seed is all that important. Now, of course, having home court advantage in a sec, in a, in a th- potentially conference finals matchup, that's important, but you know, I don't know if I'm ranking all the things that matter to me and the standings for the Suns. I think imagining home court advantage in the conference finals all the way that far in, it's not uh, not quite as big of a deal. However, you know, having that confidence and momentum and just chemistry when you get to the playoffs is really big. So beating Utah and getting that one, getting the tiebreaker against them and all that, that will be pretty good to me. Um, more so than just this one gaining ground game in the playoffs. So that's how I see that. It'll should be an awesome game. It's going to be nationally televised. I've been looking forward to it for weeks. And I hope, of course, that we see a a good game and a nice test for the Suns. But I do think the confidence is more important than the playoff seating to uh, your question, nuns. That closes out for this segment. We're going to close with the 2525 list. So stay tuned for that. Another quick break first, though, to tell you about our friends at Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market and the best tasting protein bar in the world, really. There's not much that doesn't taste perfect about these things. Covered in 100% chocolate, they're just what you want in a protein bar and that they're low calorie and low sugar, but also that high protein. So you get the bang for your buck that you need, even though they're pretty tiny. They're just crammed with the flavor, the protein, and that's about it. So cookies and cream, for instance, is 130 calories. That is it, but 17 grams of protein and only four grams of sugar. So delicious, perfect amount for after a workout, before a workout, or just to get you through a long afternoon. You also, while supplies last, get a free cooler with purchase at BuiltBar.com. So you're going to go again to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, that is all one word, and you'll get 15% off your next order. Use the promo code LOCKED15, for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Today's show also brought to you by BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all your sports action. The tournaments in college basketball are in the rearview mirror, but the NBA and NHL are in full swing. Baseball just joined the party. And of course, the Masters, one of the best betting events of the entire year, is right around the corner. BetOnline has you covered for all of it. The latest news, scores, and odds are one click away on the website, so it's the best place to make a bet. And best of all, it is free to sign up. So head to betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today. Use the promo code Locked On when you make your first deposit to get a 50% welcome bonus. Again, when you make your first deposit, use the promo code Locked On to get a 50% welcome bonus at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Closing the show out with... One final question from Yosemite Hills on Sun's Reddit asking me to discuss the 25 under 25 list. Not even a question. He just wants he just wants me to laugh, I think. He said, don't bash it, but give your opinion on why you disagree with their rankings. So I think it's actually like, yes, we can laugh, but it is worth exploring a little bit more in depth because I think Mike Schmitz is a really good basketball analyst, and I don't think just glossing over or laughing at whatever he says is right. And and Kevin Pelton has a way with numbers and has access to his own data that 
is worth paying attention to. It's it's one part of the picture. Obviously, Kevin watches a lot and, and covers this stuff too, so he's blending all of it together, but he brings a perspective that's obviously worth paying attention to as well. So that brings us to, with the niceties out of the way, that Devin Booker finished an appalling number eight on this list. So again, it's under 25. So, you know, some guys have aged out of that, but that's where we are. And to give you the guys ahead of him, I actually have no problem uh, to answer your question, Yosemite Hills, with the top three. Really no issue at all. Luca, number one, I think he's already an MVP candidate and is only going to get better at age 22. Zion, number two, similarly, is already looking like next season he could be on the MVP shortlist if he keeps getting better. And uh, LaMelo Ball, number three. I think he's had a special rookie season. He has just unteachable instincts and has already cleaned up his decision-making to the point where he is really, really productive and was on a winning team prior to his injury. So no issues with the top three. Number four, unfortunately, is where things get really dicey. I have no idea how you could make the case that Donovan Mitchell is the fourth best under 25 player in the NBA. I just, I really don't see an argument and it's not just about Devin Booker. I don't understand. Devin, uh, Donovan Mitchell has fallen back to earth from three after a hot start to the season. He was over 40% in the first half, which got him an all-star bid. Now he's down to 40%, still excellent, still upped his volume and is still making a ton of those shots, but he's at 44% overall from the field. He's only making 47% of his two-point shots, doesn't get to the free throw line a ton. He does get there quite a bit, but not anything uh, insane there. So all of that creates a 57% true shooting. Good, but not great. Not elite, not anything um, that's that's getting you out of your chair. And yes, he's increased his assists this year while not increasing his turnovers. So he's handling the ball and handling the offense more than he ever has. But his defense is not great. He's really, to me, not a ton better defensively than Devin Booker and offensively is worse. Um, yes, he's on a slightly better team, but I don't think that the games in the standings uh, account for the entire difference between Mitchell being fourth on this list and Booker being eighth. They're both negatives on defense. There's a pretty wide gap to me in terms of Booker being a more effective offensive player and more efficient offensive player. So I could see maybe the, the winning and slightly better defense, maybe you give the edge to Mitchell, but having him four slots ahead here I'm not understanding it. And again, it's not just about Booker and Mitchell because number five here is Jason Tatum, who I think is better than Donovan Mitchell. Um, this The Celtics have been not great this year. He's handling the number one duties, but I think his supporting cast is worse than Utah's, worse than Phoenix's. And there's a lot more going on in Boston than just Jason Tatum. I think what we saw from him last season into the playoffs was incredible. Uh, he's a great passer for the most part now. Um, he is a great pull-up three-point shooter. He can create a bucket inside. He doesn't get to the basket enough, doesn't get to the free throw line enough, but that's better than Donovan Mitchell also to me. Um, number six is another really, really puzzling one. And, you know, honestly, it's forcing me to reevaluate because all three of the voters here at ESPN on this list had De'Aaron Fox higher than Devin Booker. So he's at number six on the total list. Um, he's a great, great player. And if you're looking at the supporting casts, the fact that Fox has a very weak one and is still producing at this level and sort of dragging the Kings to respectability, I think is is something on his side. He's a much better defender than the other guards we've talked about here. 
but I just don't really quite get it. Um, I don't really get how a losing player like this could be higher than Booker, despite the differences in supporting cast. Um, I just don't get what we're rewarding if it doesn't really seem to be super continuous. Um, Ben Simmons is number seven. I really don't have an issue there. I think he's a great two-way player. He's an elite defensive player, and he's figured it out offensively. He's very impactful. He's fixed a lot of what made him a question mark early on in his career, and I have no issue with it. Devin Booker is at eight. Bam Metabio is nine. Shea, Gilgis Alexander, 10. Those are all perfectly fine. I think I would have um, Simmons, Booker, Adebayo, and Shea probably all over Fox. Shea mostly just because he's a little younger, although I'm not actually sure how much younger he is when it's all said and done. Only about six months, so I probably would have Fox and Shea pretty even. The other thing that this brings me to, though, is John Morant. Uh, not that that's super relevant to the Suns issues uh, or Suns fans issues with this list, but John Morant is 15th on this list. So he is behind Jamal Murray. He is behind Shea. He is behind Fox. I think those are pretty tightly packed. I think that Ja is really struggling from three, and I think that's worthy of uh, hesitancy here. But if you're projecting that he's like a full two years younger than Fox and is already leading his team to a similar level of of, uh, of winning. And they're both really neck and neck in the playoff race right now. I think those guys should at least be even with one another, if not having Ja a little higher. So then you get to Brandon Ingram, who's just an incredible scorer, but doesn't do much else. He's getting a little better as a facilitator, as they write in this article, but nothing special. Uh, then you have Jalen Brown, no, no qualms there. Jamal Murray, Michael Porter, no qualms. I don't think Trey Young over Mikhail Bridges is quite where I would have it, but that's 16 and 17. We're getting toward the end of the list. Um, and I get it, you know, Trey, they're very different types of players. If you take what Trey can do and can be a little bit above uh, an elite role player, I guess I don't have too much of an issue with that. Um, and then DeAndre Ayton, he's behind Sabonis, he's behind Edwards, but he's above Halliburton, Collins, Allen, Ball, and Sexton. Uh, I think Ayton's sort of right in the right in the proper place. So Really what it is to me is having Mitchell and Fox so high and, of course, having Devin Booker 8. Devin Booker 8 is it, it just not really reasonable to me based on... We saw Booker as high as, I think, 12 in Sports Illustrated's preseason player rankings overall. And he's had at least a similar season to what he did last year, if not better, just because of the winning. So Bobby Marks had Devin Booker number five here above Mitchell and Fox. I think that makes a lot of sense above LaMelo Ball as well. But Kevin Pelton had Booker 10th behind Murray, Fox, Mitchell, and Ball. And then Schmitz had Booker 9th behind Shea, Fox, Mitchell, and Ball. So kind of a, a, a scattering there, but all of them, except for, I, I suppose, Bobby Marks, have Booker just really, really low compared to players that he's winning more than and who he's more efficient than. And I guess it's the defense. I just personally do not see that Booker's gap on defense, an area he's gotten better at, by the, by the way, of course, that, that that could be the answer for all of it. So I suppose that after all of this, we're now basically, you know, giving Chris Paul the credit for what's going on in Phoenix. And to some extent, of course, that's true, but I don't get coming into the season having Booker as a top 15 overall NBA player, and now he can barely crack the top 10 in uh, 25 and under 
value. That just doesn't add up to me. He's one of the most valuable and productive and efficient players in the entire NBA, and he's on the second-best team in the NBA record-wise. It doesn't make much sense to me at all, and I know it did not make sense sense to you, Yosemite Hills. I'm sure Suns fans will agree. We'll have to see. Uh, We'll have to see where Booker comes in after the playoffs and what he can ultimately do uh, in the postseason. And then, obviously, we'll see it represented next year at at the lists. Uh, It's been very, very slow in terms of the climb for Booker to getting noticed in these areas. But, but of course, it is um, it is coming. It is coming. So do not get too frustrated here. Just go ahead and um, just go ahead and, and cherish it. Cherish the wins. Cherish the victories. Cherish Booker's season, not what uh, Bobby Marks and Mike Schmitz and Kevin Pelton say. Just don't bother with it. It's not worth it. It never has been. Uh, and that's it. That's my thoughts. I think Donovan Mitchell versus Devin Booker, similar to Luka and Aiton, cannot go away apparently uh it's the debate that will never ever leave but that will be the all all that i chime in with it it will go away at least for today enjoy your wednesday everybody enjoy jazz suns and then keep it right here after the buzzer for my recap pod my post game pod getting you everything you need to know about the game